of the real world with Ryan and Redmond on We Are America Radio, your number one source for political and government talk and opinion. My name's Justin Ryan. And I'm David Redmond. David, good to be back with you. We are past, as I just pressed the mute button. That was beautiful, David. Great way to start the broadcast, uh, JR. Good. I thought that was our Getting audio equipment because it's a little cheap. You know, we need, if, if anyone wants to donate to the show, we'll gladly accept because we need to upgrade yeah. our hardware. You need to go, go fund me on that, David. Upgrade um, your government. Ryan and, and Red. Upgrade our hardware. That was David's campaign slogan, by the way, y'all. It still so is. we're clear still on is. that. Still is. Uh, but it's been a little, a couple of weeks since we last broadcast. There's so many different stories. Hard to pick out which one. Um, but um, but David, obviously this weekend, uh, a lot going on. Sadly, in the uh, southeastern Texas, uh, around Houston and so forth, I have family in Waco, Texas, not too far away. They are mercifully okay. But man, this Hurricane Harvey, biggest storm in 10, 12 years, right? A tough one, a tough one. Yeah, Sandy was pretty big, but only, what, Category 1 or 2, and it was uniquely a superstorm mixing with other weather patterns, so, you know, how you classify it and how severe it is is, you know, tough when you have metropolitan areas, high density, but in Texas area, it made landfalls a Category 4, which is, uh, I think the scale goes to a 5, right? So they were hoping it would only hit as a 3, it went up to 4, not good, widespread damage, now that we have flash flooding situations, so... You know, around the you know New Jersey, New York area, we definitely feel for them. We didn't necessarily have as much flash flooding with Sandy, but tons of other issues. Um, and once the flooding receded, there wasn't really an additional flooding after that. Where this seems to be, this is like over two days almost, and they're dealing people who thought they were in safe areas from the hurricane itself got this flash flooding. And you know, if you get 20 inches of rainfall in a really short amount of time, there's nowhere for it to go. You have to deal with it. And we're talking about 24, 25 inches so far. It was interesting, David, because a couple of days ago we were hearing as much as 30 inches of, of rainfall. From what I understand, you know, what you and I go through every once in a while is about two inches of rainfall. 25 is an awful lot. Double that. The, the numbers jumped, David, from like three days ago or two days ago. It was like they're going to get 30 inches of snow and or rain, excuse me. And, and then we're talking about 50 inches of rain now, right? Yeah, it, it's it's amazing. Mother Nature really, you know. It, it puts us, you know, it continually humbles us as, as people. And um, if you want to give, of course, uh, everyone out there to uh, some causes to help the folks 
from Hurricane Harvey. Um, certainly consider uh, the Salvation Army. They do great work and also uh, Catholic Relief Services or particularly Catholic Charities of Houston, Galveston, um, of that uh, archdiocese which I have been around. Uh, Houston, of course, as many of you know who will go there, is a very, very hot city, very humid city, even more humid than a place like Dallas or a place like Atlanta, Georgia, where I live. Uh, it's got that um, near-the-water kind of thick thickness in there. That, I think, is going to wreak havoc in addition to all that water that's going to be there, and it could be quite a few feet. Uh, we, we'll see. Because, of course, 30 inches is you know is two and a half feet. My gosh, 50 inches is over four feet of just pure rain. That has a very different uh, kind of look to it in a flash flood situation where everybody's underwater, people on roofs. It seems like uh, Governor Abbott has had a, a good grapple hold on this. People have been talking about this storm really since, I think, Dave, about Tuesday or Wednesday, prepping for it, you know, gearing up for it, figuring out what to do. Um, so the response has been decent so far. The other thing we've heard, David, of course, is that FEMA uh, might be there for years, we're hearing. Could be. It's a widespread area that was hit, and I know even with Sandy in New York, the Long Island, southern coast of Long Island, they were doing, they passed new regulations in response to the storm. They were doing these new lifts on the beach houses for, even up until a couple years ago, they were still trying to get the funding, trying to comply with the uh, regulations. And that recovery, we bounced back fairly quick, but, you know, individuals, their property, it, it was still taking a long time to get them up to speed. And in Houston now we have a similar situation possibly even more widespread geographically. And that takes a lot of response, a lot of consistent effort to help these people out and get them back on their feet. It's going to be a long, hard slog, so keep these people in mind. And if you are, are so inclined, uh, take a look um, at uh, you know Catholic Charities or Salvation Army, any of those charities to help people out uh, in that part of the country where there's a big populace. Keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, it's been you know 12 years since um, Hurricane Katrina. There were 100,000 uh, Southern Louisiana folks who moved to Houston. That that city of Houston grew by 100,000 people from refugees, essentially from uh, evading Katrina. Many of them did not go back to New Orleans. Um, and now you have that situation, of course, in Houston. Um, again, a big population base. A lot of people there has gone through a lot of population growth. Um, you know, really, really busy maze of highways there. A lot of urban and suburban sprawl. This is uh, taking up a wide, wide area. It's going to be a long time before they recover. Um, whether it's going to be on the same, you know, uh, scale as Katrina, it'll be different. Uh, it's a different kind of uh, of storm, a different kind of hurricane. Um, but we're seeing now, of course. Hurricanes are always followed almost always by a fair amount of rain. There's an enormous rain, of course, in, in this instance, and so this is going to go on for a while still. So stay tuned for that. As the mask of deception falls off the face of humanity, unveiling the grand reality of duality in which everyone is a casualty, no one will be exempt. Truth has many shades. It's not a matter of black and white, but gray. Although many, we are one. So in the final analysis, could it be we're fighting a war that can't be won?
All right, y'all, welcome back to the show. It's in the real world with Ryan and Redmond on We Are America Radio, your number one source for political and government talk and opinion. And you can follow us on Twitter at Ryan and Red and our old shows uh, via SoundCloud at RyanandRed.com. Are we still updating that page, David? Yeah, we probably need some maintenance done on it. It's, Long uh, pause, David. Had. Yeah. My dad will be like, where is it? I can't find it, damn it. <laughs> so that's that. when that happens, that's that's David's fault. Um, of course, also going on around here um, is all this statue business, David. And it's um, gone on for a couple of weeks now. It's hard to see where there's an end in sight. Um, one possible prudent decision to, you know, get rid of a statue leads to all these others. Um, what are some of the big flashpoints here? What are the, some of the craziness going on, David? Well, I don't want to downplay. There are some legitimate concerns about some of these statues, and they vary depending on the statue. But, uh, you know, some of it remind, reminds me of that meme with Ralph Wiggum, right? And, like, I'm helping. You know, they're defacing statues. They're tearing them down. <laughs> not going through the proper legislature and everything like that. So, you know, make your case. I think, you know, you want to put someone else in place of it, that's fine. Preserve it. The original statue for historical purposes in some museum, I think that's reasonable in some of these cases. But now they're starting to go after statues that aren't even related to the Civil War. There are other figures. Maybe they're controversial. Maybe they're not. But, I mean, it's taking on life of its own. It doesn't seem very logic-based. It's all about emotion. They're not reasoning with it. One of them they went after, it was Civil War era base, but it was a peace statue, and it was telling Confederate soldiers to lay down their arms, and it was a picture of an angel, and someone tried to tear that down. I mean, that's that's really not good. I mean, what, what are you accomplishing? Absolutely nothing. Well, one of them is Abraham Lincoln somewhere? Are these people serious? Yeah, they're not, they're not, they're not the uh, cream of the crop in the citizenry, apparently. I mean, I've also heard Joan of Arc in California... Well, because she's burnt at the stake. That she, I mean, I know a lot of people who idolize her, women who idolize her, um, as as kind of like a, a a feminist figure in a way, and they're, they're they're taking her down. Yeah, it's it's becoming like this negative fad, and it's not. I mean, you started out with a couple statues that were con- legitimately controversial, and it was up for debate whether they should be moved or whatnot for various reasons. But it's gone way above that now, and you know, it's this new phrase we're entering, like. Everyone gets a trophy, no one gets a statue. Like, is that the society we really want? Like, participation trophies and can't honor anyone because no one's perfect, we're all human? I mean, that really seems a path some people want to go down. There is a lot of selective outrage with all this, ladies and gentlemen. Um, A lot of people um, are going to forgive certain people for certain views and not forgive others for certain people for certain views way in the past. I give a, a fantastic example. We all pointed out last fall that make America great again, which, you know, is sort of tinged with some racial undertoes that you're looking for, you know, a whiter America than we have now rather than a blacker and browner America than we have now. And then, of course, we found out that um, um, that was part of the pitch for Bill Clinton when he ran for president in 1992. No one's moralizing to Bill Clinton about using that phrase or that he used it, um, you know, 25 years ago. Also, uh, the fact that during that campaign, Clinton Gore had the Confederate flag as part of their backdrop for some of their campaign material, like you know the the, the cross and the and the stars and so forth. Again, no one set that down last uh, during the last campaign about how um, you know hypocritical it is to make such a big deal with the Confederate flag. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not saying that we we need to um, keep the Confederate flag in all places at all times. There's perfectly reasonable 
suggestions out there about what to do with it in certain circumstances. These things can evolve. We can evolve in a, in a reasonable direction. These statues things, though, is just a whole other ball of wax where you got all these people. I mean, who are these people, David? They are anti Antifa people. Are some of these people just back from some of those yahoos from the, um, the Occupy Wall Street folks that the floodgates are open, we're going to go wherever, we're going to go from city to city. We know that, that uh, Democratic politicians uh, running those cities aren't really going to want to stop us. So we're just going to take down everything and anything we can, and Dave, they, they've – They've raided the store. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of nonsense. I, you mentioned Occupy Wall Street. I think that started out with some valid grievances, but it was a very directionless group. They didn't really know, you know, what they wanted to accomplish with that. They were just airing their grievances, quite literally. And that was a diverse group. I think them and the Tea Party had very similar concerns, just very different conclusions about what to do about it. And so I wouldn't really tie that to Occupy Wall Street too much. But these Antifa people, whoever they are, it almost stands for anti-First Amendment because... I mean, just for self-preservation purposes, I don't, I don't uh, recommend confronting people in the street. You know, especially people if, if they truly are racist or, or in some sort of hate group. I mean, for your own safety, please just avoid those people if you can. You have every right to defend yourself, but don't put yourself in that situation. And I mean, that seems to be a, a gaining trend as well. And it just really, I don't recommend that. I don't see that as being fruitful. So I mean, I hope these people figure it out and stop. I mean, I just don't know what to do about this. I think that there's – I, I want to you know, get near and press the button of, man, if you were just erasing history, both you know, glorious and bad history and unfortunate history, shameful times in the country, shameful legacies, that's Uncle Joe, baby. That, that, that's, that's Stalin. And if that, he didn't like something, then he, then he erased it, got rid of that town, killed all the yeah. people there, keep all, all the papers and, and records from all the people who were there just because he didn't like it. Just because you don't like something doesn't mean you shouldn't let, let it endure in people's minds to be aware of what we don't repeat. And I, I've seen some very valid comparisons. If you've ever read 1984, I highly recommend it. And in that, it, they kind of say, you know, the party's always right. They're continually rewriting history. And that there's a tinge of that in this, this modern movement. You know, it, it's a very embarrassing history. It, it's very shameful. In founding documents, we have the Three-Fifths Compromise. We had a Supreme Court decision, the Dred Scott decision, basically said, Certain Americans weren't fully human, which disgusting decision. As, as much credence as we put into precedents in legal decisions, that obviously huge black mark on the uh, on the Supreme Court. And but you have to learn it. It happened. The real people presiding at the time decided that case, and it's very hard to comprehend in our modern times because we have made great strides, great progress. Uh, we're not entirely there yet, but we can't pretend. We can't erase the history and not really take measure of the progress we've actually made because that devalues, you know, what Martin Luther King fought for. They, under much more severe conditions, they fought back against this whole system against them and overcame it. And now we have much better conditions for people to advocate for civil rights, and they don't seem to be utilizing it, you know, in the most fruitful way. And, I, again, some of the choices in this are crazy, that, you know, that I've outlined. Uh, Bill de Blasio, your, your hometown mayor, congratulations, David. He wants to go to the Christopher Columbus statue. You Somebody know, on the New York City City, City um, uh, Council said that he referred to Columbus as an invader. Who are these people, and where do they get this? I don't know, but he, he's doing good. He, they have this, like, 90-day review board now for statues. That'll improve people's quality of life. <laughs> And, and I talked to all these people. I don't see much satisfaction with the current mayor right now. So I don't know where all his votes are coming from. I don't know. I'm not sure. There's a lot of density in Manhattan, so it's obviously coming from from there. But 
the you know I talk to a lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life, and I don't know too many people who are satisfied with the overall mayoral mayoral performance at the moment. You hear to hear first, uh, ladies and gentlemen. David is predicting a Bo Deedle landslide in New York. <laughs> I'm not predicting that, but that <laughs> I would enjoy it. I think I would enjoy that very much. It would be incredible. Not a bad guy, but he comes off kind of crazy pants on the radio. But uh, he has served in um, a number of law enforcement capacities for a number of years in, a, in, in very honorable ways, even if he seems a little bit uh, off his rocker sometimes. The other big issue, of course, that um, uh, has to do more with foreign policy, ladies and gentlemen, um, is, of course, about the new strategy in Afghanistan. And, and David, that was sort of brought out Monday night, last Monday, of uh, some fanfare was talked about for a couple of days. What did or did not Trump say about a new strategy? Well, he did. He kept it very generalized, which as that's been his M.O. since the campaign, right? His whole pitch was don't give the enemy a blueprint, don't give them a timeline. And he stuck to that principle and he gave a speech. He generically outlined, you know, we're going to stay. There's going to be more resources put in there for the time being. And it's a very sore point for many of his base. There was a lot of you know, the anti-war left disappeared under Obama, and the news, they didn't cover Afghanistan that much. You know, there was more action going on in Syria with the, that policy going on. And I think Trump's plan now is to um, let the generals have their say, maybe reassess in six months, and then make a new decision at that point and see how it went. This is tricky, ladies and gentlemen, because a lot of us um, in our country, myself, I have to include in that group, just haven't taken the time to understand and research, understand Afghanistan. Iraq was so much more of a flashpoint um, based on uh, possibly faulty um, intelligence. It was covered by the media with much more um, uh, cr you know, critique and harshness and you know, undermine the whole effort. The civil war that you could argue we started in Iraq just seemed to be more demonstrably in front of us and the images we saw on television. Afghanistan just isn't in the minds of most Americans very clear. If you look at what uh, um, General Petraeus did 10 years ago, very faithfully um, uh, executed uh, a new plan for Afghanistan. Most Americans, again, including myself, probably couldn't tell you what that was all about or what has happened um, in Afghanistan during the second term of Obama. I'm not sure I could tell you either. What a lot of Americans do realize, though, is that uh, we went in there in a response to 9-11. We've been there for a very long time. We didn't think it would that last this long. We didn't think there would be that much difficulty. Uh, as any historian of, of Afghanistan will tell you, it is one of the rockiest and most mountainous, most least tamed uh, areas of the planet that just throughout history has never been tamed because you don't have much there other than some really difficult terrain for a lot of people to have to live. And that's why Osama bin Laden and, and his adherents and so many others have survived there for so long. Um, but David, one of the things, of course, that the, the media said about it, it was it was low on detail. That was sort of the uh, the media narrative that came out of the speech. But that's sort of the whole point in Trump's mind that he's going to want results. Um, he obviously has a chief of staff that is a military man. See what we can do over a certain period of time, and then I guess draw down if that doesn't work. Right, and I, I don't think there's a question in anyone's mind that President Trump is, is letting the generals run the show here, right? I don't think he's going to micromanage the situation. He wants his reports, but he's really going to let the generals make the majority of the decisions, um, unlike some past administrations that we've heard of. And I give, I, I'll give the president a small window because 
he is taking ownership of what he's inheriting, but he didn't obviously start all this stuff. So, and what is he inheriting? He's, they did this, if you remember the movie Charlie Wilson's War, that was when we supported some rebels in Afghanistan against the Russian government who was invading Afghanistan. They kind of used that Charlie Wilson War 2.0 strategy in Syria, funding certain rebels against the Assad regime, right? That clearly happened. It's totally admitted now. Um, and that's what Trump inherited. He stopped that rebel program. And he does, there is a legitimate argument to make where you don't, you can't leave too fast and leave that vacuum for those those rebels. They, you know, there's a diverse set of rebels. Some are supposedly friendly, many are not. So he does need some time to try and clear up that situation, right? It's it's the U.S. created, partially created mess, or they amplified it. So that's what Trump is inheriting, and he has, he needs a window to sort it out and then reassess from there, in, in my view. I don't know if it's something that would come across as the whole idea of soft power in terms of supporting, um, you know, in a stealthy kind of way, uh, different regimes or different mil- uh, military groups, David. But like you alluded to, it is wrought with problems. It's very easy for any armchair uh, general like myself to say, you know, let's get out of there. Let's, you know, let's not let's get out of foreign entanglements. You know, most of my 20s and 30s have been, uh, you know, con- con- consumed with these two wars, you know, on our screens. Um, let's just get the hell out. But you have to make strategic decisions. They aren't always clear. And as David said, you know, some of the the people that you choose to support, who you give uh, financial assistance to, that you give military or weaponry assistance to, they might not be great people. And there may be unforeseen consequences in any number of those things, as we, we saw with Charlie Wilson's work, which David, I have to say, it's probably my top my top 10 movies of all time. I love that movie. I think it's great. It was very well done. Absolutely. I agree on that. But what else do you do when you, you have to make these strategic decisions, David, and, and Lord only knows which tribe in Afghanistan is, is trustworthy and which one will, will turn on your back and, and turn into some kind of ISIS, you know, type cell or some miniature version of ISIS when you, they're supposed to be on your side eventually. It's very tough. And that's one of the arguments I hear as controversial as that program is. They go, well, if we don't give them some support, someone else will step in and do it themselves. And then those groups who are up for allegiance, their allegiance will be to someone else much less friendly, which could exacerbate the problem. So that's what I read, some of the supporting people who supported that program. But I don't think, you know, it was a lot more blowback, a lot more not bearing any fruit to that. So I, I'm personally glad it ended. It was it's, it expired. Its usefulness expired. It didn't have anything much to show for it from our interests, right, as far as I can see. No one really seems to explain our, strategic, our interests enough, in my mind. The media doesn't really analyze it properly. And, you know, we keep hearing that term, but, you know, you have to really analyze our strategies and what we're accomplishing, what the American people are getting out of it. And are they benefiting and... It hasn't seemed like they have all too well. And we can't uh, look at this in military or, um, you know, ideological terms of, of the past. We can't look at this like this is some grand crusade like like Reagan against communism and finally bringing it to its knees. The context, the uh, complexity is totally different. Uh, Americans and an American president, whomever uh, he or she is, cannot just leave with words to try to bring down uh, the other side. We can't just bring down the other side through economic sanctions or other kinds of um, uh, of tightening of the vice, though those can help. Um, we have to look, try to do a warfare in, in a completely new context in the 21st century against an enemy that really isn't going to stop too easily. And we can't just defeat that force 
and have sort of freedom um, and uh, and human progress kind of take over in a way that's going to then spread. I just don't see that happening over the longer term, David. Um, this is not an area of the world that um, really knows how to embrace uh, liberal democracy, and it's not going to do it anytime soon. There it the is. only thing we can help maybe is that they all want to live in peace and are going to somehow um, over time be, be wedded to, to more nonviolence. Yeah, you just hit the nail on the head there. The the key to the battle against communism, the Cold Wars against communism, is the citizens there. Citizens there were fed up, completely fed up with the system. It was, the flaws were self apparent, and they were ready to establish new government, better forms of government. And there's parts of the Middle East that aren't quite there yet, and that's the people. It has to be a cry from the people, and that's really the missing key right now. They and it's tough. They're under some of them under very brutal regimes. I'm sure in their mind they do want a better society, but to speak out is extremely dangerous to not go along to get along extremely dangerous so different situation than than communism but it has to come from the people that that's where we see success throughout history the the general populace that's how it has to happen and one of the problems we've had over time of course we feel in this country we think to ourselves you know why don't modern muslims and and and, and people we know in our communities and in in our workplaces um, and, uh, you know, around town that we know and befriended, you know, why don't they speak out more vociferously uh, about, um, you know, the extremists in their midst, the way like every other group, religious or not, has to speak out against against their kind of nut jobs and, and, and their crazies. Um, that's just not sort of part of the ethos of Islam, and it's just not how it works. So that kind of way of doing things and kind of an old-fashioned let's sort of um, create reforms from the inside is not going to work in the short term, ladies and gentlemen. But will it, what it will require at least is some continued military engagement to try to get the really bad people who we can get, you know, um, out of commission or at least delegitimized. Um, David, any final, final thoughts on Afghanistan? Uh, not particularly on Afghanistan, but I will say one quick point about this whole game of denouncing the crazies and the fringe groups. Um, I don't think a lot, I don't put a lot of stock in it, right? Everyone after Charlottesville, a horrible event, but all these politicians are grandstanding, you know, patting themselves on the back, taking brownie points for condemning neo-Nazis and racists, which horrible people. But, I mean, come on, that that's ridiculous. It's a two-minute hate. You don't get points for denouncing that. That's obvious. That's, you know, a, a basic reality, right? No reasonable citizen is supporting that. It's a very, very extremely small portion of, of the citizenry. The, the high count on it is 8,000 possible members of those, of those fringe groups that are remaining. The federal government has been monitoring them they continue to do so so that, that i think that's very proper and when they do cross that criminal line they should be fully aggressively prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law but you know until that point you have to follow the legal process just as we would in any other community that might have terroristic problems you know equal under the law and that that's the way it has to be and it's let's not overblow the problem the government does monitor it i think for the most part fairly and, you know, the media just gives you no context or proportion on that when they cover it sometimes. Amen, David, because um, people have to remember that the, the, the KKK in particular has been, uh, been fought at and monitored by the government for almost 100 years. There was a, a time in uh, the late teens and, and early 1920s, and I can't remember why from the history books, but there was often this uptick. Um, in uh, in in clan membership, there was almost four million members by like 1922-24. The government stepped in and began to disperse all that. Um, they did something similar, of course, in the 1960s. Mississippi burning, that kind of FBI would do um, 
would do some really tough tactics to try to um, destroy some of these these cells in, in places like Mississippi and Alabama in particular, try to disperse the KKK. The KKK is a small, tiny group of people. I mean, for goodness sakes. Well, if, if, if you think about David, my goodness, if you're a KKK member and you think, man, in 2008, as a, a black guy gets elected president, it's just it's just time to hang it up. I yeah, mean, go home. Like, <laughs> game over. Stop it. Read a book. Come on. And but I will say I have this vision, right? The last KKK meeting will be like 12 people, and they're all going to be undercover federal agents, right? That's how I envision it <laughs> ending with a whimper, because they're still they're still trying to you know keep tabs on these pe- people, rightfully so. But I mean, it's just amazing. It's it's hard for the modern mind to process the thought. There, I don't know what thought process is, is behind them, but I mean, they I, the way I see it is from a human perspective, they're just they have their grievances. They don't know how to process them. They might have some justified anger but they're just not assessing it properly and they're blaming it on, on you know outward appearances which you know that's not the way to go it's not the society we live in anymore and you know on, on some level if they're not really harming anyone you feel bad for them because that level of ignorance is staggering but uh there was this documentary on netflix still on there some guy he was going around he, he uh he was able to convert uh, maybe a hundred clan members and just by befriending them talking to them treating them as a person and expecting that in return and, you know, he didn't beat them with sticks. He just talked to them. And that seems much more effective in changing minds to me. Daryl Davis, he's a true American hero. I haven't seen the documentary, but I've read about it. He um, is a man who has done a lot of kind of neat things in his life. He's like a jazz piano player. He's been an entrepreneur to different things. And after a while, he just began to, to do something with the Klansmen that he came across, began to befriend them. He did not intend to like have a you know a running list of of guys who renounced um, their membership of the clan, but it's been dozens for this man. And what it came down to, David, was one simple question. He would ask them, "How can you hate me when you don't even know me?" And it's a great question, and it doesn't even have to be racial, right? It could be political, right? If you have someone who doesn't agree with your politics, you know, don't hate on them. Figure out why they think that way, right? We all vote for different people. It's mainly because we weigh things differently in our society. So you're not necessarily bet even, I mean, if you're presented with two candidates and they're both very flawed, people, if they want to vote, they have to choose one. So don't hate on them for trying to participate in the, you know, what they, the choices they were presented. You know, we, we can't hate people without truly knowing who they are. That's not going to make for a good society. And the media just seems to egg it on. And I'm, I'm pretty fed up with them for that part of it. And they're, they're really not helping unite the country. Go see that uh, documentary, ladies and gentlemen. It's called Accidental Courtesy, Daryl Davis, Race in America. It is phenomenal. It is a great way to end our show. Listen to The Real World with Ryan and Revan on We Are America Radio. We'll see you next time. Follow us on Twitter, at Ryan and Red. And stay out there. Be safe. Rise above the noise, y'all. We'll see you later. Angry words and honking cars, satellites and falling stars, distant dark blue radios that whisper down my boulevards, ghosts and chains rattle in the attic, broken headphones filled with static, lonely room you've got nowhere to run. Three, two, one for.